0: Hello friends, welcome once again to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Paul White. It's the 12th day of January. I want to encourage you to check out our midweek drop. We've been working on various portions of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We are not necessarily moving left to right, though we are hanging out mostly in the early part of the sermon. We've done several lessons on the Beatitudes. We've done some overview lessons and some lessons that picked up uh, some elements of the season, like the Magnificat and Epiphany. We've worked different things into this. I'm having as much fun and excitement working through these Sermon on the Mount lessons as anything I've done with this Tuesday group. And uh, if you, you don't have to catch them in order, there, because there is no order, but I encourage you to jump in there. Uh, we drop a new one every Wednesday because we have our Bible studies on Tuesday nights. And so today is the day sometime around midday when the video will be available, and then the audio is usually available a few hours later by the afternoon here on the East Coast. Um, I, I, I think it will be one of those things that you'll look forward to every week to see just where we went, and maybe you can follow along in your Bible, and some days it's a big chunk of the Sermon on the Mount, other days it's just a little bit, but it always sort of rotates around that. Okay. We are in the 19th chapter of Genesis. I was rereading this before I started recording today, and I'm just struck once again for the thousandth time at how bizarre the incident of the 19th chapter is top to bottom. You've got 38 verses that encompass Sodom's depravity, this famous moment of the men beating down the door, trying to get the visitors, the angels, Uh, to take them out into the street, Lot offering up his virgin daughters in place of that, the angels striking the crowd with blindness, and then the angels warning Lot to get out of the house, the sons-in-law laughing at Lot, thinking he's nuts, Lot with his wife and his two daughters being taken out of the city, and then all of these little details that pop up in the chapter, and I encourage you, if you haven't read Genesis 19 in a while, do so. These little details like, for instance, verse 16, while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him and brought him out and set him outside the city. It, it, this indication that they're not taking it entirely serious. They're sort of dragging their feet. So the angels grabbed them by the hand and pull them outside of the city. So there's, what do we do with that? There's, there's elements of they're so infatuated with Sodom, they have a hard time leaving. There's also elements of he's going to deliver you whether you're quick to the faith or not, whether you're sharp about, your, about wisdom or not, or whether you know what's going on or not, he's going to grab you by the hand. It's not just a matter of him saying go, but there are certain moments or maybe uncertain moments in your walk where God's going to step in, intervene and do exactly what he's going to do. Then you got Lot arguing with the angels. I know I'm not reading all of these verses. Um, These are just some things you can look at as you look through the chapter. Lot argues with the angels and says, don't send us to the mountains. We'll be destroyed. Send us to this nearby city. And then in this parenthetical passage, he says, isn't it just a little city? What do we do with that as readers? Part of it is that we assume there's something in the mountains, at least a people, maybe a tribal people of whom Lot is afraid, but his heart is sort of in tune to the city. And if it can't be Sodom, let it be a city. And then he defends it by saying, well, it's just a little city, as if the problem with cities is that they're big. So if I could find a little city, wouldn't that be more acceptable? Um, Interesting. Then the fact that, and almost like an aside, Lot's wife looks back in verse 26 and becomes a pillar of salt. And Lot doesn't say a word about that. It's just one of those things. And you could almost just overlook this and forget about it if not for the fact that of all of the stories of the Old Testament... Jesus doesn't tell many of them in the gospels. He doesn't talk about too many incidents in the Old Testament. He doesn't mention David killing Goliath uh, or Daniel in the lion's den or the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace, but he mentions Lot's wife turning to a pillar of salt because he's warning about looking back or maybe more specifically, he's warning about staying in the same place and not moving forward, that the danger of being infatuated with where you are is that often being infatuated with where you are makes you immobile, and that you, you, you are not useful to another generation because you can't move from the place that you are, and man, there's a lot of things to be said about that, and some things we ought to wrestle out as to whether we're always longing for the past, always longing for how it used to be, always bemoaning a changing world. And we might as well just get used to the fact that if we're not going to change, we're much like a statue. We just represent something that used to be, but we do not show potential. Statues do not show potential, by the way. Statues show what was. To be turned to a pillar of salt is to be frozen in time. Not with what you could be, but with what you were, and there there is a large part of us, part of our populace, and I'm not just talking about locally or America. I mean humanity, who seems to long for what was, and there seems to be a warning there that that's not where we land. Then suddenly, the story, without warning, shifts. In verse 27, to Abraham, who goes early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. He looks to Sodom and Gomorrah. He sees the smoke. And then God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And he overthrew the cities. And it almost seems as if those verses are a little bit out of place. God doesn't just now remember Lot. It's as if the verse is telling us why God remembers Lot so, and that, we're not even to the weirdest part, honestly, or at least, I mean, that's all been pretty odd, but when you get into this next segment, we get into this incestual relationship between Lot and his daughters, and I do want to spend some time with that. But I want to close today, strangely, in 2 Peter. Second Peter chapter 2 actually mentions Lot when he says, "'Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ash, condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And God delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds.'" Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So when Peter looked back on the story of Lot, he saw Lot as the righteous being delivered from the destruction. And consider that Peter and the other apostles are writing to a pre 8070 70 world and they know there's a destruction coming and they're believing that they're going to be reserved from it. I, I, I also want to, you know what, we're going to, we're going to work on this verse a little bit tomorrow from second Peter, because I see something there that I really want to bring to you. And I just don't want to squeeze it today. And I don't want to hold you any longer. So tomorrow in an unusual step, we'll sidestep over here to second Peter and work on this before finishing out that chapter in Genesis. I'll see you then. God bless.